Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 155 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and today we're very happy to have on, very lucky to have on the CEO of the PSA, Alex Goff, and obviously the elephant in the room is when will the professional tour, the PSA tour, resume play? Well, we might have an answer to that uh, on the podcast today. Uh, Alex talks about uh, sort of, he gives us a, maybe a, somewhat of a, a date and a location in terms of when uh, things will get back underway. And we talk about how that all came about. And uh, obviously, the, the challenges that lie ahead in terms of uh, putting on uh, the Pro Tour and all the moving parts. And uh, there's so many things that, that are uh, that's going into this. Uh, fortunately, there are several templates out there, uh, templates that have been put together with uh, very deep pockets in the, the higher profile sports. And uh, there's a lot to uh, sort, of, sort of a lot of food for thought and a lot of uh, challenges, as I said, that lie ahead for the PSA. But Alex is very forthcoming. Uh, with all of that today on the podcast, and we talk about every uh, every aspect of that, including, uh, of course, when the when the tour might resume, where it will resume, the different variations on how it could resume, uh, location-wise, uh, whether or not there's going to be a bubble or several uh, several playing bubbles in terms of that, um, and all sorts of other elements that are factored into this. Uh, we also talk. Uh, in depth about other aspects of the game I didn't you know the PSA tour will resume at some point and uh, it had a very successful uh, leading up to uh, when COVID hit it it had been going on swimmingly and uh, you know one of the things uh, that made uh, that the PSA one of the initiatives was its uh, challenger series Uh, we talk uh, a little bit about that the initiatives that have been that had taken place in terms of officiating uh, had drawn some criticism from the players, but I think across the board, we all realized that uh, what the initiatives, uh, uh, the meaning behind it was to uh, develop the game and to make it better and more free flowing. And uh, we talked quite a bit about that and what uh, Lee Drew and the team of officials have been doing during this downtime. And uh, you'll be very interested and happy to hear what's been going on in that regard. And uh, much, much more including, uh, we, you know, I, uh, I've had Alex on before and we've talked about his playing career. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask him a bit about that. In, and I went as far as to get him to give us a, a few uh, nice anecdotes of the, the time he's spent on the tour and playing against some of the greats uh, that he had the luxury of playing against. Don't forget, uh, Alex had reached uh, uh, number five in the world, I think it was back in 1998, and he played all the greats, including Jancher, Jonathan, Power, uh, all, uh, Peter, everybody. Uh, during those generations, he played them, and he's got some big wins over them, obviously, if he uh, got to number five in the world. So uh, really appreciate Alex and his time and for being so candid and forthright with information that uh, I know things are pretty challenging for those guys, but they seem to be uh, moving in the right direction and moving at a pace with which uh, seems to be a smart one in terms of making sure all their ducks are lined up and a safety first approach. And we'll hear You'll hear all about that shortly. Now, uh, before we get started with uh, episode 155, I want to talk a little bit about our great sponsor, Active Scout, who's working away on building uh, a, a new aspect to their app, Active Scout, and it's in being done so in order to expand the membership base at clubs, uh, squash clubs across 
the globe. Now, in the next few weeks, we're hoping to have Rob Eberhardt on, uh, the man behind Active Scout, and he'll be telling us about his thoughts on how clubs might retain and then build upon their membership. I'm excited uh, myself to being able to download Active Scout uh, in the near future. In fact, Rob emailed me just recently and told me that that's going to happen soon. And then uh, I'll review it uh, for you and we'll see how the app simplifies the membership onboarding process. Now, you've heard me talk about the app prior to each of my podcasts, but hold off on downloading anything until I give you the full tour and exclusive review. Here and only here on the In Squash podcast, so stay tuned for that. Now, if you're looking for more information, feel free to visit the website www.activescout.com. That is Active Scout without the E. Now it's on to episode 155, Alex Goff, the CEO of the PSA. Hey, how are you? Hey, Jerry. Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Good to see you. And thanks for, for taking your time, uh, taking the time out to do this today. No worries. No worries. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. Yeah, it's hot over here, though. You wouldn't. I'm sure. Sure, you've been in these parts uh, in the summer uh, over. Yeah, absolutely. The- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once in Dubai in August, it was ludicrously hot. <laughs> Are you here for the uh, 28? One of the Super Series finals, I would imagine. Then, right? Uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the, yeah, I was at those a couple of times. Yeah, I just I actually randomly came on holiday once in April in August to uh, hmm. to Dubai. So. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, Dubai. I mean, there's plenty. Uh, I mean, it's built for the, for the indoors, anyways, right? A lot of it. So, uh, so the Las Vegas of, uh, of the Middle East, if they. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. How are things generally? How are things over there? Yeah, it's uh, pretty good. I mean, uh, where I live is just north of Dubai. Actually, it's uh, in the Emirate of. Uh, it's called Ras Al Khaimah, which is about forty hour, forty minutes north. Uh, of Dubai and it's fairly safe. Uh, COVID um, regulations are fairly, uh, you know, strict, and they've got things under control. The hospitals are doing a good job. Okay, and they've got Korean hospitals here that are run by uh, Korean management teams and lots of and Korean doctors and uh, in in my Emirates. So uh, yeah, they've been doing a good job. And, uh, squash courts opened about three weeks ago. Okay, and so I manage. Uh, been out a handful of times, feeling good since I've been following the uh, the Laura Macero and Nick Matthew uh, online uh, training routines. So, uh, <laughs> very good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just want to know how, how things for you and your your uh, your family are over there uh, in the UK. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, I mean everyone's here. Yeah, both my kids are um, they're both at university, so they they came back pretty early in March, um, and actually they were working for the NHS for a bit. At their, okay. at their mother's, at their mother's uh, surgery, so they they were keeping themselves busy. But yeah, they're just looking forward to hopefully going back come September. Right on. But anyways, how how excited are you, uh, Alex, to have squash back uh, now in, in England? I guess it's been a day uh, since the uh, the courts have opened, and uh, sort of what implications might that have for what you do with the PSA as the the CEO? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a couple of days. I think I've seen lots of posts on social media with uh, coaches getting back on court and players getting back on court. Um, I know some of the um, so like the Welsh squads and the and the English squads. You know the the you know the pros have been back on court for a couple of weeks now, so they've they've had the luxury of that, which is good. Um, obviously, what we're trying to we're trying to do 
yeah, obviously being UK based, um, you know, and, and and being able to control things from that side of things, you know, the, the first kind of events that we want to try were clearly going to be kind of in the UK. Yeah. So we're hopeful of something around kind of Manchester, potentially doing kind of like a test event around Manchester, maybe um, in sort of early September um, is is on the cards um, and then hopefully leading into to, to a Manchester Open. Um, okay. But the, I, the, the, the obvious challenge for us and obviously we're seeing it in sports like tennis are, you know, is the is this international travel. Um, it was always gonna. It was always gonna be the big issue. Um, and obviously, we've had we had the situation in the UK over the weekend where holidaymakers have started up now, and you know they've gone to Spain. Um, and whilst they're away, suddenly they've been told that when they come back, that they're quarantining. And you know, if you haven't gone to Spain or somewhere like that now, then you know, essentially, essentially you can't. You know, or you know, things like travel insurance are off. So those those things that are moving. They're just they're just going to be very difficult. Yeah. Um, so we have to put everything in place. I think I, I kind of mentioned it. I think last time we spoke that I think initially lots of things are going to be on much more of a local level, um, mm. and, and figuring out how we do that in terms of um, you know the Challenger Tour and probably putting some limits on the Challenger Tour, but doing that much more on a local level and seeing how many areas we can we can get going at the same sort of time. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd hope to start doing that from September. Um, well, as soon as possible, really. But September feels like the next kind of period of time that we might be able to do that. Right. Uh, and then hopefully, if, if if a few, if we can get a few of those areas going, so that we don't have, you know, we, people don't have to get on planes, then then we can figure out. Well, we think we've got a good a good handle on how we might do the rankings for that. Right. Uh, but that's that's that again. It's a bit of a movable feast. I think we will. We're going to move to a, and we've been discussing this with the players. We're waiting for some feedback from the players on on some proposals we've sent to them. But I think what we will do is change to more of a best of type format. So whereas before, if you played ten events, it would obviously be your ten events, and then if it's eleven, it's your best ten, and, and we kind of had a sliding scale that went up. Um, I think we would just almost draw a line in the sand and say, you know, if you played eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen tournaments, whatever that number might be, we would always just count in you know, a best ten for the men's and the best nine for the women's um right which would which would give some security to people that you know or to players that don't necessarily want to take any risks or go anywhere so their their ranking would almost kind of you know their ranking would get kind of fixed um and then if you were able to play a few you know you might be able to improve a little bit um but but more importantly you just get that opportunity to play uh, and you know get yourself back on court potentially earn some prize money and and you know, um, it potentially move up the rankings a little bit, but I think we would we would need to make sure that all kind of moved fairly slowly more than anything. Yeah. Um, and we would have. Sounds it like there are a lot of moving parts here. Uh, a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. A lot. I mean, one uh, you know, one thing that um, uh, what you know, I'm, I'm a big sports fan. I watch all sports, and uh, the UFC is one. Uh, the football is another. Uh, I think NBA basketball and a lot of them have this, uh, what they call the, this bubble. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure you're, you're aware of that. Um, now the bubble, I guess means that uh, you would have all the players in this space uh, with, you know, hotels with training and all that. And obviously this is a lot of money uh, involved. Uh, I'm sure squash could, you know, may, maybe we can find ways of 
doing that, but is that something you've considered of, or maybe having several bubbles across, you know, across uh, the globe, given, you know, where, where events might take place. You could have a bubble in Egypt, a bubble in North America, one in the UK, and then go from there. Is that something? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So the, so, so the, the tour team and the operations team that they're, they're looking at all of that really closely. Um, so yeah, the, you know, you could link areas like, I think, you know, kind of, you could almost have kind of, you know, New Zealand and Australia linked together, or you'd have, you know, everywhere in the UK would, would essentially have tournaments. When we get to events, I think that's, that would be easier for us to sort of control at the sort of, I guess, the sort of slightly bigger events. So something like a Manchester Open, hmm. we might be able to control those environments a little bit better. Um, the real conundrum for us is if we... It, it's probably a little bit easier to get some of the challenger tournament tournaments on, but you know, have we got the money for testing and have we, you know, have we got all of those resources, you know, players in single rooms, for instance, you know, to try and, you know, we wouldn't ability. Is that necessarily going to work now? Probably not, you know? Um, so there's, I think it's going to be a case of us working on a real kind of tournament by tournament case you know, speaking to each and every promoter about what they can and can't do and trying to create the kind of safest environment, you know, that we can. Yeah. Um, I know we've already looked at quite a lot of doc, you know, we've got quite a lot of documentation together now that we haven't really shared with anyone, but we're trying to make sure, you know, it's all checked out with, checked out by proper medical kind of people, you know, rather than, rather than us just sort of looking over it or, or, or you know, looking at you know what football have done and what snooker have done and, and grabbing all their bits and bobs you know it's all kind of out there you know all the protocols and some of them are some of them are some of them go from the kind of incredibly onerous to you know some of, a, a bit more light touch and you, you you just you just need to try and find a good balance in there that's that's you know makes the players feel safe and makes the promoters feel safe and and yeah. whatnot um but at some point, we're going to have to dive in, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> would be a case maybe, you know, with you know, speaking of this bubble, I mean, would be a case of maybe uh, realigning the, the dates of, of the big events? Like you see, the, you, the tour seems to have quite a few uh, U.S. big, big major events uh, in cities that are relatively, you know, close to one another, Boston, Chicago, New York. Uh, would it be a matter, you know, I mean, you could put several of those on at once and, even deal with a, a quarantine, like a two, if, if that's going to be a problem, a, a quarantine could be managed under those circumstances if players got there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely, it, that is definitely one of the ideas that we thought of in, you know, in the US. I mean, I think the US is probably a little further behind than everywhere else, well, or it is behind than everywhere else. Um, you know, us, historically, we've been going to the TOC in January for the past, you know, 20, 20 odd years now. Um, that's just not, that's just not going to happen in January. You know, we're going to be looking at more like kind of April. Um, so once, once we know, again, we keep kind of getting to the next period of time and then going, well, we should be able to sort this out soon. And then we get to, and we get to this stage and we're not quite as far ahead as we would like. Um, you know, the UK being a perfect example, you know, we were hoping to, to, to start firing up maybe some test events in August. Um, and yet the courts have only opened up, you know, like a couple of days ago. So that, that bit's difficult. Um, each, each time we kind of get through another few weeks, we think we're, we'll be able to announce a little bit more and then, 
and then we're not yeah. quite able to do that because Let's take a step back again. Yeah, the things have gone just sideways to a certain extent, all backwards, um, and that's what's really tough. Um, you know, as I say, like right this time, I think. I think something in the UK is probably is probably the most likely, so that you know we can send our teams there and we can we can have a real kind of controlled environment that 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 we set the kind of the protocols, figure out what works, um, so that then we can try and template that for other places. Um, I think that's going to be the best course of action for us. Yeah, um, right. As I say, I'm hope, we're hopeful that that will be in September. Right, and. Uh, with these other sports, uh, as we mentioned earlier, football, uh, you know, NBA, the, the, the UFC, what else, uh, in terms of the science behind all of the, the COVID stuff, um, what have you guys uh, sort of learned that you're going to be able, you're going to be capable of uh, managing in terms of setting up um, something, like you said, that's safe and that's doable and that, uh, unfortunately, as we mentioned, the squash doesn't have the deepest pockets uh, uh, that we can afford to uh, to set in place. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I say, we've worked on we've we've worked on a lot of protocols that we that we believe will work, and we need them kind of checked out before we kind of make you know make them public. But along sort of similar lines, you know, getting getting the players all to one place so that we can test them, mm-hmm. you know, test them on site. Um, and as far as we're sort of as far as we're sort of being led to believe at the minute you know then there's you know a couple of day probably a two-day turnaround on on those results some some seem to say that it's quite a bit quicker and others are you know saying kind of two days um you know players would need to be within a you know specified hotel with single rooms which again is another big big expense for someone um and i'm sure we're gonna have to help out on that or potentially it might come out of sort of some of the prize money um then you've got kind of then trying to make sure that everything on site then obviously we're going to all of these things are going to be behind closed doors initially yeah so there's, so there's less to worry about in terms of sort of people coming and going um you know a really limited kind of staff on site you know limited kind of teams so that so that you know you can keep everything as efficient as you know as efficient as possible mm-hmm. um the, the the next bit that's difficult that not that's what's difficult but you know when we're trying to line up say another couple of tournaments is you know we've you know we're having lots of conversations with the sponsors but you know some will do certain things and others won't and some want to wait till there's crowds again and and you know um that's the next difficulty that's the next difficult thing that we have to broach is that you know we almost need one one event to kind of commit and say yes and then we can do the next thing yeah um well, a lot of these smaller events, uh, like I was just going to ask you about the smaller events, and you mentioned the billeting, and that that's always been a huge uh, benefit to, to these smaller events and to the players who don't have to spend uh, the money. But uh, it's the, also with these smaller events, you get a lot of sort of, you know, and especially in Canada, a lot of the PSA pros from Canada play in those events, and they make up, I'd say, like half of the draw a lot of the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have that to worry about uh, when it comes to, you know, maybe setting up, uh, certain things that are required. So is that something may, maybe the smaller events might be able to to run a little bit more uh, quickly, I guess? Uh, uh, yeah, they, they, we're hoping so, yeah. Um, you know, and, and certainly if you don't have the international players coming in, um, you know, that, that will be, that will be something that we, that we think will work. Um, then, then we're just going to have to see if the numbers work. You know, if 
so for instance we spoke to spoke to squash new zealand in fact spoke to squash canada um you know they want to run you know maybe 5ks or 10ks yeah in the foreseeable future but um you know absolutely need to get clarity on say what the rankings will be for that um you know how that will work who can play um i, I think as long as we're as long as we're kind of you know making sure that we're doing what we need to do within the local kind of authorities um, sort of mandates, you know, that they will all be at different sort of paces. Mm. Um, So, so for instance, yeah. So someone like a squash New Zealand, hopefully we can have those conversations probably a bit earlier than say, you know, the U S it's probably a little bit further behind. Right. Um, Well, New Zealand's already, I mean, they haven't done a PSA event yet, but they've already had a a pro, some sort of pro event. uh, Yeah. Early weeks ago. Yeah, they've had a couple of little sort of exhibition events that, that seem to go pretty well. So, yeah, um, down to the down to the tour team now to keep having these conversations and see who wants to kind of you know jump in and and start registering things. We just need a little bit more clarity, I think, from our end in terms of how it will work. Yeah, um, across the different regions, really. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Now, um, moving on a little bit, is there any? Is there just? Is there anything else that we we may have left out there, Alex? Just in terms of, of uh, the you know the the situation right now, or um, not 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 necessarily. I mean, I think I think if we continue, and again, like we, we're having you know a, a lot of conversations in the background, of trying to figure out. Yeah. Obviously, the players players are hurting in terms of not being able to play, you know, any event, let alone sort of PSA events. So I think one of the things, you know, if if this does continue to run and run, I think we've got to figure out ways of creating events, you know, potentially non, you know, non PSA events that that are there for, you know, to actually get the players back on court to actually earn some earn some money again. Um, obviously, got a big responsibility in terms of normally just putting on PSA events for, for prize money and rank world ranking points. But I think if things continue to be difficult. From a purely from a tour point of view, then I, th- I think we'll be we'll be having to get kind of quite creative, and whether it's kind of turning more into kind of local leagues or you know th- th- there's a lot of things in the background we're, we're kind of throwing around. Um, so yeah. I think that that's kind of also also worth noting, I guess, um, other than just waiting for a full full blown tour side of yeah, things. No, okay. so you're you're stepping outside the box a little bit and working with uh, you know national and maybe you know national federations in terms of what you can set up to help the players yeah. get back. I, we're gonna we're gonna need to, especially if the tour side of things just is just keeps getting delayed. Yeah. Uh, so it's kinda next on the hot, hot it's next on the list really. All right. Well uh, September in Manchester potentially that sounds uh, exciting. Yeah. Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hope so. I mean, uh, we missed the game, but uh, you know, we do have uh, squash TV and YouTube. We can watch you play uh, Jancher, Jonathan from back in the day. Those were good. That's good squash to watch, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think the players these days are pretty well. I think they're pretty fortunate uh, to have kind of, I guess, all of their matches or nearly all of their top matches documented. But yeah. no, I was just thinking when. Uh, yeah, I, I just doing a little research just to refresh my memory about your your backstory. I always watched you play back in the day. I was a huge uh, Jancher and Jonathan Power fan, but back in the day, um, yeah, there there were there was your your coach was Chris Robertson, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So back when I was a junior, I played you know at a decent level back in Canada provincially, 
And uh, I, I don't know if, it, if he was on the TV or I managed to get this video, but it was of him. And I think he played, it might have been Jancher uh, in one of the big events. And I used to watch that match and I used to, you know, I tried to mimic his, you know, his, his play because he had this really okay. good offensive, you know, people probably don't know, but he, he had a very good attacking you know, volley front court game and his movement was, a, you know, just such a, it was amazing. And I just yeah. noticed after just watching his videos and trying to mimic him, how my game developed just through that one video. And now we've got all this intel now. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I think, yeah, and actually the match you were probably watching was probably the British Open final. I can't remember which year it would have been. But he pushed Jancher really, really, very closely, I think, in one of those British Opens. Um, yeah. And actually ended up retiring with a bit of a hip injury not long after. So he was he got to world number two. Yeah. Um, kind of great, game, great game. Great game, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was... Yeah, he yeah. I, his knowledge of the game was phenomenal. So 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 when he then transferred into being a coach, you know, I I wouldn't necessarily get on court a lot. I was living in England and he was always in Wales. Um, yeah, and and we get on court. We get on court reasonably often, but not not. A, I wouldn't say a lot. Um, but whenever we would have those sessions, I always came away from it feeling you know really enthused and really like there was a ton of stuff to work on and. Yeah. You know, real kind of his knowledge of the game was just was just incredible, really. Um, and obviously, then he went on to you know he was Dave Evans's coach as well, um, and then Dave went on to win a British Open. Um, what he's done with Hong Kong as well. I mean, those guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah, so he went through the England squash system for a bit, and then Hong Kong. So yeah, it was I was pretty fortunate, really. Um, yeah. Well, we'll get back. I want to get back to that uh, in a in a little bit about your 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 career but before we do let's move on from the COVID stuff and uh, just before the end of last season I think there was a lot of chat uh, just about the the changes that have had obviously been wouldn't say I don't know if implemented is the right word because it, it, I don't think the definition of a letter or stroke or whatever has it has been rewritten in the rule book uh, but it, it's just something that that sort of seemed to there have been the goalposts have been moved or you know whatever cliche you want to use but uh, obviously the changes, I think, in terms of what they, the officiating team is thinking are good changes and good sort of thoughts in terms of what they're thinking. And uh, then, then obviously the sea, uh, things uh, ended. But uh, during this downtime, has uh, Lee Drew, who was or maybe still is in charge of the officiating side of the PSA, have they made any more inroads or any sort of developments or move forward in the way that they've they're looking at it's more like lets and strokes i, I talked to um tarek moman and uh, uh marwan and mohammed uh el shabag yeah. recently and they all sort of discussed it and they they're all in favor of the the changes but there's also some frustration in terms of you know what is it what it is at, what is actually a let or a stroke and what is the line and I think Marwan said it really well. He said, uh, I like the changes. I mean, I, now I know that you need to give a line to the ball. And if you yeah. have that line, if there, even if there is a, a little bit of interference, you got to play the ball. And, and that's, uh, that's, I think, a really good uh, change. I mean, back when you played, I mean, all you had to do was put a racket up and, <laughs> and then you're getting a stroke or a let. You didn't, you know, it was kind of silly yeah. a lot of the times. But I think yeah. that those are the things that are being looked at and developed right now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I mean, they, they absolutely are. Yeah. So the, I think that I think the one fundamental 
and you did actually mention it in that kind of summary, the one fundamental point is that not, no rule has been changed. Mm. So when you, when you look at the rules of squash, especially for the interference side of things, like it's the same as when I played. So the rule is exactly the same. Mm. The issue when the issue, well, the issue when I was playing, not necessarily me, but the issue around my kind of era, um, and this was sort of probably that I, yeah, the, the bad side I would say of, of squash around that time was that there were a ton of, and I don't know if you'd ever looked at the rules at that time, the rules were exactly the same. And then there was about the same amount again of guidelines of how you would interpret these rules. And the refereeing at that time became so muddled and such a non, just, it was so confusing to, you know, it, basically it, it turned everything into a let. So it didn't matter if you blocked like a maniac, whether you were getting in the way, whether you were literally throwing your arms out to not let someone through. The way the interpretations were, everything became a let and everything became spoiled. So you could, you know, you did, you did a backhand drop shot, literally make yourself as wide as you could, not let someone through. If, the, if, it, if it was a nick, they, no one would, they, would get a, they wouldn't get a let. Yeah. You know, if it vaguely popped up, it would be a let. So there was, no, there was no risk to the person playing like that. Yeah, one thing from back then uh, that, that used to, so I, I was wondering whether it, it seemed logical that it would be a lap, but then it wouldn't be uh, at the same time is uh, if I got through to play the ball, there was interference, I got my racket on it, and then I said, then I asked for a lap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. You, you, you would say, I got through the ball, there was interference, but you played the ball, no lap. Uh, right. right? <laughs> that, that, that was one, yeah, that was one of yeah. many. Yeah, I think that I think the fundamental thing that has sort of we've refocused on is that if that player playing the shot makes literally no attempt to get out of the way, then it's a stroke, and that that then sort of fundamentally leads into the rest of the change. Um, the the difficulty I think then when the players kind of you know they they all look at the rules, they all know the rules, they all know exactly what they're doing or not doing, is that getting that line right so you can you can suddenly there's a few players that are very good at making it look like somebody didn't get out of the way you know they very quickly got you know dived into somebody's back you know you've got all these fun things to deal with um so kind of lee's job within kind of being the referee director for for, for us is is it things that things that the whole landscape of refereeing has changed from a sort of a well or will continue to change from a governance point of view in that we're doing a lot more work directly now with with World Squash, um, WSF, um, and we've sort of created World Squash officiating, which is kind of somewhere in the middle of, of okay. things with, with World think, Squash. Yeah. Uh, Roy Gingell is involved in that. Uh, so Roy's involved in that, yeah. And so Roy and Lee working in hand in hand on that. Um, and we are, and both of them are working incredibly hard in the background on a website that is soon to be launched. I say so soon to be launched. Been saying that for about six months, um, as is the way with websites. <laughs> They're always yeah, there's wow. always something else to, some other banana, banana skin around the corner to trip you up. But it, it's it is getting close, um, and it, this is going to be a website that is basically there for every player, every referee, every federation. Um, and will hopefully be a very, very useful kind of resource in terms of standardising calls, standardising approaches. You know, giving um, giving everyone from a kind of a literally almost a beginner sort of status through to kind of you know the top referees at which which we're going to be. And we forget of- about that. We think uh, you know 
you know, my club, I'm sort of the, the de facto go-to guy with rules and stuff for, you know, unfortunately right. for the club. But, uh, you know, they're, they're for a lot of these beginners, and I'm not around, uh, whenever I do end up showing up, they're always, always arguing about lets and strokes. Right. Uh, and so something like this where you have a, you know, I'm, I'm sure the, the website will be replete with maybe videos and samples yes, of what this and that it is. It's going to be, uh, you know, it'll be very helpful for not just the viewer of the pro game, but the, the actual player. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's aimed at, it's aimed at all the way from, from sort of from, the, from you know, the, you know the, the juniors and the beginner level right through to kind of the top, top sort of level. Mm. Um, which is probably the reason why it's taken as long as it has, because we suddenly realised halfway through it, it's, it's a behemoth of a project. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. actually into this this huge, huge project, but um, it's getting close, and it, and it will be. I'm hope you know. I'm very hopeful that it will, um, you know, get that kind of real kind of consistency across across the world. You know, um, it's it's difficult. You know, the players go from tournament to tournament. And, and that's where they get crossed sometimes or frustrated in that, you know, things will be refereed slightly differently in the US to the UK, to Hong Kong, to, to Egypt. You know, everyone will be taught slightly differently or have a different interpretation. And then but the players are still playing the same game. So that's, that's, where, it, that's where it gets tough. Um, so if we can have one kind of, you know, voice of truth, if you like, or as close to it as we can. Um, yeah. You know, I think it will throw up a lot of debate as well in terms of I want it to be a website that people kind of, you know, keep going back to. And, you know, even as we're going through all of the clips that are on there, of which there are already kind of hundreds and hundreds. Mm. When we look and Lee and, Roy, Lee and Roy and I talked about this a lot over the last probably since since we've been all in lockdown, really. Mm. We thought we were updating it all in sort of 2016, then 2017, then 2018. When we look back at some of the clips that we've done more recently, then go back even just to 2018, we're already changing our view. <laughs> we're changing our view, and we had a really similar view. Is that is that because is that because uh, yeah. the game has changed, or uh, I mean, you've got versus this, you you see things differently through the the progress of what you've done. Or? I think it's I think the I think the players are much more on board with it now, and I think the referees are all starting to understand what the end result is. And the end the end result is to have as few lets as possible, you know, so, yeah. so remember Ian McKenzie from uh, the editor of Squash Player called me once in Qatar and, and he, and he literally documented everything and we didn't have any stats or data at that point. And his data was basically saying that, that through the whole tournament, there was a let every two rallies. So it was just a nonsense, just an absolute disastrous stat really. Um, more recently, we're trying to get that's that's crept that's crept up the right way to kind of more like every sort of four or five rallies. So obviously the numbers are you know the numbers are coming right down. So you know these really kind of soft lets of you know you just brush past your opponent and you fancy a rest and you stop. They're just you know those those are already kind of feel like they're long gone, which is which is great for the sport. You know that you know getting rid of those pointless stoppages. Um, and you look at the top. And, and, and I think we probably need to do a better job in terms of advertising some of the data that's out there. Because you look at some of the, you know, someone like, well, I, someone like Mohammed, Mohammed Al-Shabagi, his, his data is unbelievable. He only asks for like seven decisions a match is his average. Yeah, yeah he plays, I mean, a lot of these guys play, just play the ball. You know, they yeah, and, and it, yeah. 
it's if we can convince you know if 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 the mentality is much more around that then you know the sport just looks a million times better for it yeah you know so so that that that's kind of the end goal really you know it's not to say that there will never be a let but it is really trying to minimize it to the absolute minimum right i mean um, uh, is there some i mean this is sort of way outside the box but it's obviously something that you guys have considered like uh like what you do with the the appeal system with the uh, when you appeal to the, the 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 video referee you only get a certain number and I forget the, the number but uh, right. what if you what if you only allowed for like say six five five lets a game uh, given you know if it's a no let then you then you lose that 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 let opportunity to ask again. You know, similar to the review system. Is it a, like the review thing, yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're open to, we're open to all those sorts of things, really. Obviously, um, that caters to the guy who's going to try to create the interference or, or someone, someone who's difficult <laughs> to get around. But, but if it's a let, it's a let. You don't lose your let, right? So. Yeah, I mean, there will, there will always be players that will be very good at playing those, those systems. <laughs> and yeah. some a lot better than others. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think we... We owe it to the, to the. We always need to keep coming back to the to those you know review systems and lets and whatnot. But I, I think one thing that and, and Lee can talk to this a lot better than I can. But you know the rule the rules. He keeps having to remind everyone that we haven't changed anything. You know right. we haven't actually changed the rules of course at any stage. You know there were all these interpretations flying around a lot of the time. But the more and more we go back to it, the more and more we keep just saying to people, look, it's just, it's pretty clear. And they are pretty clear, <laughs> you know, yeah, just keep yeah, going yeah. back to those rules. And if, if you want to, yeah, you go back to practice, you know, the players will go back and play practice matches and stuff. And, and you know, when you're playing like that, they're just, there's barely any decisions, you know, so yeah. it, it can be played that way. Um, yeah, and, and I think that, that this new generation coming through, hopefully when, the, because they're used to, you know, the likes of, you know, Mohammed and Ali and, you know, Raneem and, and Noor just barely asking for any decisions, then, you know, once they watch, once they've watched that for long enough, then, yeah. then, then they'll be even better at it, you know, so. But there's definitely a knock-on effect there. And, and also you notice that with the, uh, you know, just the behavior overall of the players. I mean, when you see a guy blow up at a referee these days, it's like, oh, wow, he, he's, he's getting up there. Whereas <laughs> in the past, it was more sort of expected and you knew you know, something was going to happen, uh, pretty much in every game yeah yeah no sure yeah 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 like you say the the, the power days when he was uh, <laughs> there was a few of those there was a few of those every now and again <laughs> yeah 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 but uh, you know I, I watched a few of his uh, every time he seems he was never one of the guys though who would be unreasonable I, I don't think when he would ask for a lead I mean he'd always have the theatrics that that was definitely part of it but uh, I always thought maybe towards the end of, end of his career there was a bit more play acting but early on uh, I was figured he was he was more right than wrong but uh, I, I could have been uh, you know a power fan more than that could that might, that might have been your Canadian view of it I think yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you were on the other side of it but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second but I just wanted to ask you Alex uh, I had Danielle Latorno the female uh, PSA challenger player of the year we're really happy about that in Canada she and the other Canadian girls uh, Sam who's just retired Holly uh, Nikki Todd uh, all of them have been really doing well uh, of late you know they're sort of sure. inside the top 40 top 30 maybe for Holly I'm not sure right now but the, the challenger series for Danielle she she said she attributes that uh, uh, 
you know, her playing in that to much of her, uh, a lot of her success last year and leading up to last year. So uh, obviously there's some benefit, a uh, great benefit to that for younger players and for, for players like her on the tour. So what, what's, uh, what's your take on the Challenger series uh, right now? And, you know, aside from the obvious, the COVID situation, put that aside, what's your vision uh, of, the, uh, of the Challenger series going forward? Sure. Yeah. So we, so we, we decided to sort of split them out um, to, to the world tour and the challenger tour for, for a couple of reasons. And, and I, we wanted to really kind of be pushing the world tour as the real kind of pinnacle, um, you know, the squash TV events, the glass court events, the real kind of glamorous, you know, shop window of, 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 of squash. Um, and we found whenever we were sort of talking to, you know, potential sponsors and whatnot, it, there was always a, you know, we would say, oh, yeah, you know, we've kind of got 150 tournaments a year and, and it was all, it just was never that really clear what was what. So that was the sort of first motivation. Um, but, the, but, the, but from a challenger tour perspective, I think within the next, within the next kind of two, three, four years, and, and we're working on that strategy at the moment sort of internally, it's, it's we'll be focused on it a tremendous amount in terms of it being that kind of, you know, stepping stone. So you've kind of got the satellite tour, which we're trying to run with world squash at the sort of lower level kind of prize money. Um, and then the challenger tour, I think we're going to be, well, we'll be investing a hell of a lot more time in, in really trying to grow that base. Um, I think, I think historically players are too quick and this is, this is a little bit of a personal view, but I think it, it it's born out of, of Danielle is the perfect case example some players or a lot, probably too many players actually are, tr- are keen, to, too keen to, I just want to get in the big events. I just want to get in the big events. They're not necessarily doing their apprenticeship and playing and winning, you know, going out and, and winning 5Ks and 10Ks and 15Ks. You know, they're, they're almost too set on the end game of, I'm going to get into a World Tour event and I'm just going to play those and that's how I'm going to improve my level. Whereas you could get to sort of 40 or 50 in the world and play... 10 matches a year by losing 10 first rounds, you know, you're just not going to get better at that. Whereas the way, you know, like the way Danielle's done it, where she's winning those five, you know, winning the 10 Ks, the 15 Ks in which, you know, where you're having to win four or five matches week in, week out, you're just going to play more. You're just going to get better. Um, And then by the time you do hit the world tour stuff, then hopefully you've got that sort of winning kind of approach. So, for me, I think the Challenger Tour, I think players need to, I think one thing we would like to do is almost, well, once we're through all this COVID situation is really try and focus on much more kind of, you know, really trying to focus in on each region and, and having a real big chunk of events there that players can play, you know, week in, week out with a view to, you know, well, one, getting better, <laughs> two, having lots more playing opportunities and then three, really then focusing on the World Tour almost a little bit further down the road, you know. Um, so I, I think it's a hugely, you know, we're certainly not sitting there looking at it like, oh, we just need to make sure the world tour's okay and the rest will look after itself. I think it's a it's a hugely important sort of part of, you know, having a professional kind of, you know, the, the, the pathway through, really. Um, she, uh, Danielle told this, uh, she didn't tell the story, it played itself out. Uh, she played, I think it was two first round, her Windy City, and then it might have been the TOC where she played Julianne Cortice in the first round, and she lost both matches. Uh, very uh, three love, I think, in both. 
And then she ended up having it in the Challenger Series like a week later after the, the TOC, she ended up playing her in the final and beat her 3-2 in the final. So, I mean, stuff like that, too. I mean, both of them obviously in the same boat, you know, trying to get to the upper echelons of the game. Yeah. Playing well there uh, on, the, on the big stage, you know, and then getting back to the Challenger Series and, and uh, fighting it out for, for a final spot. So... Uh, it's fantastic, I think, what it what it brings to the game. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I'm not, I really, I really do agree with that. Um, <clears throat> I, I, some players, you know, you see some players just they just get stuck, you know. And it, I know I'm a firm believer in that. They just, I guess, they get a bit hung up on, you know, I just want to play the top guys, or I just want to play the top girls, you know. But and, until you're kind of ready for that, you know just traveling to the other side of the world and playing one match is not necessarily going to do it straight away. You know, you need to, you need to get lots of time on court and, and, you know, beating people around your own level and get used to that kind of winning, winning yeah. kind of mentality. I and, think it was, uh, I think I spoke to, it was Johnny White and maybe even David Palmer as well. I mean, they, they, they told stories in this podcast where, you know, things weren't always going pretty well for those guys either. I mean, they no, you know, were world champions and then they, but before that, you know, they were there in South America and, <laughs> You know, just trying to you know win a few tournaments here and there, and then suddenly, uh, you know, after a few the few wins there, uh, suddenly things began to click, and they built some confidence. And uh, that's how you build confidence is through just playing a lot of matches and losing first round every tournament. You don't get that, do you? No, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So we're 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 going to focus on. There will be a real kind of big focus of the of the tour team and and everyone kind of. You know, back at back at base is is to try and really kind of grow those numbers <clears throat> in terms of events, and that's not. I mean, it's certainly not going to be an easy thing to do at this stage. <laughs> no. But no, aside from the COVID, hopefully, hopefully we uh, you know, things improve. And uh, absolutely, right now we got you know have to fight through it and see how you know, see how things go. But uh, Alex, you've been great with your time. Now I've got you know I've got in front of me right now a former world number five. Back in 1998, you know, you had some great days. You played all the greats. You, you've had some wins. You've had some uh, some losses, but you had a, a very, very good career. And I, I did ask you if you would uh, think of a couple of anecdotes, so maybe a JP anecdote or a, a Jancher anecdote. My fav- one of my favorite anecdotes, actually, uh, it was on, I think it was on the Facebook or the Twitter or something. Uh, Simon Park posted a video, uh, and he was telling the story about how Jancher, they were all looking at the rankings or something. It was at you know after one of the matches, and they were looking at the rankings at the time. And you know, the, uh, Jancher was going through the rankings. Oh, it's Del Harris. Yeah, it's Simon. Yeah, yeah, this guy, this guy. And a few of the guys were at the table, and uh, Simon said, "Yeah." And number ten is uh, Stephen Meads, and and he's sitting there too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jancher says, "Who's Meads?" Who's Meads? <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's a good one but uh, do you have any uh, old I mean any any uh, anecdotes you can share with us uh, on air here yeah well I'm not sure so many of them are anecdotes but uh, I know, well I know I played I, I played Gentry probably two or three uh, no three times I think because but the first time the first time I remember playing him was 1988 in the World Junior Championships. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was, I think I was doing my A-levels, so I was just playing for Wales. It was actually in the team competition. Um, but he was already, so he was, um, yeah, he was already world champion at that point. Yeah, he was world champ at 17, wasn't he? Yeah, 
yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So he'd won, <laughs> I think he'd won the world champs in November '87, and this was April 1988. And I remember, I remember the date so vividly because I was like two months away from my A level final A level exams. Here I was playing the world champion in the bloody world junior championships. It's like this can't be right. Yeah, I think I won the first rally, like completely lucky, like three wall boast or something like that, and turn around. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> should we should we stop there? But um, <laughs> then, uh, then I played him again. I think the only the other time I played him then in uh, was in front of the pyramids actually, which was one of the, one of my favourite tournaments ever. Obviously, the Alaram, yeah. um, and he was just he was again not necessarily an anecdote, but he was just. He was a disaster for squash because he just made it look so easy. He oh, was yeah. just walking around, and you know, you see the videos of him, and you just look at him, and he doesn't like, run. He walks, like you said, yeah. walking around. And when you're playing him, you feel exactly the same. You're like, I want to try and hurry this guy up. I want to try and hurry this guy up, and you just couldn't, you know. And you'd, you'd sort of be in there, and you know, you get eight or eight or nine or ten or, and a bit like the Who Is Meads story. You just play like, oh, you just, you just get to ten all, and then just, just hit five winners. You know, and that, and that was his mentality. He had, he had no, yeah. it was not a stressed bone in his body. You know, he just, he found it so com- comfortable. Yeah. And uh, I think I played him, the last time I played him, I actually, it was in the, in the, in the world, it, well, Super Series, it was in Super Series finals. And I managed to, uh, managed to beat him 2-1. Uh, it was oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah. It was, How was, was that? Crazy. How was that? be already through well he was so I got to I got to 14-10 in the first I do remember this quite vividly as well got to 14-10 and he was clearly a little bit annoyed that I was doing okay um, and I and I literally was just went to, I went to serve and he just under his breath he just went serve down <laughs> serve down <laughs> literally mumbling away to me and giggling away yeah and he, he, was, he was actually a bit of a bugger like he seemed like a really sort of just quiet guy but he had a he did have a bit of a wicked sense of humor like he'd know he would definitely have known who means he was you know he definitely have known who he was yeah, yeah. yeah he had he was that sort of a character where yeah he would he would entertain himself quite a bit i think that's awesome that's, that's awesome yeah yeah uh, one thing i did notice uh in what i forget what tournament what match it was but it was sort of uh, yeah right when jp was playing well and you had a match with him and it was a close match it was a good match to watch and what i noticed and i don't know if you felt this way or not but i i always always found that you 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 did a really good job of kind of getting under his skin a little bit and i i uh, i don't know if that was just me or not but if you could speak to that uh maybe a little bit because i, I mean uh, Peter was able to do that. I think uh, a couple of guys on tour, but I noticed that you somehow managed to do that. Uh, at least <laughs> it, it, it appeared to me that you were able to do it. Uh, I, I, yeah, he would. Yeah, he would probably admit that to a certain extent as well. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? I mean, I, it was. I think he got. Yeah, he he was the sort of player that. Yeah, I, well, I'm trying to think the best way of putting this. Really. <laughs> I knew how to press his buttons. I mean, he was always, he was always, I, there was a couple of times I beat him. I beat him early doors when he was a bit younger and I was kind of just starting and he, he was really young. Um, and that kind of annoyed him a bit, I think, even though he wasn't due to win. Um, then we had a couple of tussles where I think I got really close to beating him once or twice and he just, he really, he really, you know, he really didn't like it, and he was having to pull out every trick in the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. 
I used to find him, he was obviously the trickiest guy out there. And, and you know, I'd love to have seen him play against some of the players today because he really was, you know, when he was firing up, he was next to impossible to read. It was so, so difficult. And that was kind of how he had Pete's number for such a long time. Yeah. So Pete managed to get, get his head around that. But I think I had a patch where I actually just found him quite, I could read him pretty well. I, I actually think... Well, I, that, I mean, that, that's kind of your... I, I wouldn't, you know, may, maybe a bit your bread and butter too, because you you play, you know, maybe a lot of, lot of people might not know this, but I think you you play more of a shot makers kind of game as well. You like to move the ball around the court, so that's something yeah, that you yeah. have an eye for, uh, perhaps. Yeah, I used to. I think I used to like. I used to play where I used to like anticipating quite a lot. So you know, you throw throwing a player up to the front and then trying to sort of cut cut the next one off it was a bit of a Chris Robertson trait where you know he would almost push you into the front and then kind of follow it not, ne- not necessarily the recipe to play Jonathan Power though is it no but sometimes you know if you if you were in a patch where you could do it in your on your terms rather than his terms then yeah. Th- then yeah and he and he didn't used to like that because if you were reading him that was the bit he didn't like <laughs> that was the yeah, bit yeah 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 so I think yeah. that was why so I think the last time, and in fact, it was the tournament he retired. He might even be the one that you're talking about because he, he beat me three love. It was in the TOC, um, but it took him 70 minutes, and that was really getting under his skin, you know. So I, you know, I was I was, I was getting old then as well, and so I was I was hanging on and didn't wasn't necessarily pushing him enough to to win, but he couldn't get me off court in a quick enough time. So that. Yeah, and he actually, yeah, he had a few words of me at one point that I won't repeat now, but it, I, yeah, it was entertaining me quite a lot that he was getting so annoyed. Yeah, I, I, I think that might have been it because I do remember that the one match where it was obvious to me that you know you were, oh, yeah. you were reading him right, and, and like you said, I think that was probably it, and there might have been a couple of lets where you they were definitely lets because you were you were there, and you know typically uh, other guys yeah. might not be there, and. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. I enjoyed that match actually, even though I probably enjoyed that match too much for three love lost. But yeah, I do remember <laughs> that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but it was good. it was also a bit of a shot. I mean, that was the one he you know he just got back to world number one, um, and then typical power kind of then retires at world number one. But it's a massive shame really because he still had a lot of. He still had I think he did. Uh, and squash super squash Saturdays. He he certainly looked pretty good as well. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I watched a bit of that. That was hugely uh, entertaining as ever as you can be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, well, Alex, I really appreciate your time. Is there anything we missed there? Anything, uh, anything else the PSA uh, wants to announce? No, no, well, no, just, just uh, you know, just that. I mean, we're hoping to get back as soon as we can. You know, there is a. It's been a very, very strange time for everyone, but it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, we're working as hard as we can in the background to to bring bring squash back or bring PSA back as kind of quickly and as safely as we can. And yeah, hope sort of thank everyone for their patience, really, and you know just know that know that we're doing everything we can to 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 bring the you know bring some competition back soon, hopefully. Perfect, uh, Alex. Really appreciate your time. Keep up the the good fight, and uh, hope to do it again. Yeah, no, no worries, Jerry. Yeah, pleasure speaking. Well, thanks so much to Alex for that, and, and uh, thanks for being uh, for him for being uh, so forth uh, forthcoming with the information regarding how things are shaping up for the PSA. And with any luck, in September, towards the end of September, hopefully, we'll see some pro squash in Manchester, England, uh, if that plays out uh, the way that Alex uh, envisions it. Now, 
again, thanks a lot to Alex for being so forthcoming today on, on the podcast with that information and for a great fun chat uh, there at the end uh, as well. Now, uh, what's coming up in this podcast? Well, I'm really excited about that. Uh, we've got uh, the guys from Squash Skills coming up uh, next week, Jesse Engelbrick and uh, and uh, Jethro Bins, uh, perhaps along with uh, Gary Nesbitt, we're going to have those guys on to talk about uh, social distancing and how. Uh, what are, what are some of their their top uh, suggestions in terms of getting out there and playing uh, your squash again, uh, keeping uh, social distancing on court if that's something that's uh, you know uh, something you have to do at your club. I know it is at my club, so uh, looking forward to hearing what they have to say and what they suggest in terms of the top social distancing games and training routines that we can do so those guys will be coming on next week we also have a really uh, I'm really excited about one episode that uh, you know I can't reveal the name yet but uh, looking forward to that one hopefully uh, this weekend also we're going to have the string doctor coming on as well he's a prolific there on twitter and uh, he just put out a review of all sorts of uh, new strings so we're going to get him on and i've got lots of questions in terms of stringing and you know i i have my preference of string and i have my preference of tension and i have my reasons behind it but uh, i'm not sure if there's any method to the madness so we'll get to ask uh, uh, the string doctor what he uh, suggests and get some intel with regard to, to that so uh, stay tuned i'm probably going to be uh, eliciting some uh, some questions there on social media from you guys as well so please uh, stay tuned for that and we've also um, we've got the gentleman from iMask and also World Squash Day Richard Millman's going to come on and uh, of course uh, the iMask is something that uh, you know uh, we see a lot of they're they're marketing that product out there right now and for very good reason and Richard will come on and, and talk about the iMask and also what he and Alan Thatcher have in store for World Squash Day which I believe is coming up uh, quite soon in the next couple of months, and he'll be speaking to that as well. And we've got lots, lots more coming up on the podcast. I really appreciate you guys for listening. Please share. Please uh, send me a like, a tweet, or a retweet uh, there on Instagram as well. And uh, also, don't forget uh, to give uh, give me a shout-out uh, in terms of if there's any any guests that you'd like to have on, I'll, I'll, I'll try and uh, see what I can do when it comes to that. But again, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Good luck with your squash. Uh, I was supposed to play yesterday, but that fell through. Definitely going to try to get out uh, this week, though, maybe on Thursday. Uh, only once this week, So, uh, but I've been, uh, been working hard on the fitness side of things, so I'll be able to hit the ground running with any luck but I hope the same applies to you guys you're getting out and now that uh, I think many places across the globe are are opening up their their squash facilities so all the best with that thanks everyone for listening take good care and all the best goodbye now